I'm your host, Madeline, and welcome to The Courageous Podcast, where you will hear inspirational stories every Monday and Thursday of everyday people who will share how they found strength, hope, and faith in the midst of adversity. Let's get ready to be inspired. Today, I have Natisha Shockley, who is a wife to her amazing husband, Miles, and they have a beautiful four-year-old daughter named Shaddai Lael, which means mighty one belonging to God. Natisha works as a parent education manager at New Moms, a nonprofit organization that works impacting two generations, providing support in the areas of housing, family support, and job training to young moms ages 16 to 24. I love that, Nati. I love that you're giving back. Welcome, welcome to the Courageous Podcast today. Thank you so much. I am just so privileged and honored um, to spend this time with you. So thank you for having me on. Amen. I am excited to have you on. And I always say that to all my guests. So people that are listening are probably like, you know, but I really, really am excited. Mm -hmm. And I know that God is really going to use your story to just minister to so many people in so many different ways. And it wasn't until we really started talking that, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time. We were on the worship team together at the same church at New Life Covenant. And we've had great conversations, but I really didn't know your story. And so when we really started talking and I was making notes, I was making faces like, oh my God. And it just allowed me to see a different side of you and how amazing you are. And I love that you're always honest and transparent, never trying to make it seem like you're perfect and you got it all together, but you love the Lord and you continue to be faithful in him. And that's one of the things that I love about you. So please, Nadi, take us back to that time when you were kind of a little girl growing up and share, you know, some of the difficulties that you faced as a young child. For sure. So growing up, up until the age of six, was raised by a single mom. So it was just my mom and I. And my mom, her lived experiences in her family were very abusive. She grew up in the um, mid-50s, late 60s, 70s, and she experienced a lot of abuse. So she was given very unhealthy tools to raise children. So how that looked like for me was my mom abused me verbally, physically, um, mentally, emotionally. I mean, essentially, it ran the gamut. She would say things to me that, that she found me in an alley. My parents didn't want me. She found me in a garbage can. And my mom wanted to love me, but she did not know how to love because she was not loved in the way that a child should be loved. <laughs> My home and at the age of five, six, seven, eight, I mean, nine, you know, 10 every year was filled with lots of pain. My mom wanted me to to be to excel in school. And I remember when I was seven years old, or probably before that, I want to say six or seven, she was testing me on the multiplications, you know, multiplications and like, what's two times two and two times seven. And mm-hmm. when I wouldn't get something right, she would have me kneel on rice mm-hmm. um, for hours. And so that's that's old school for real. It's old school. It's old yes. school. And we always that's, that's Puerto Rican old school for people that have never heard of that. Yeah. That's yeah. the real deal. You know, that's kind of a hard par- how our parents punished us. I know it sounds harsh, but yeah, I, I, re- I can relate to that. 
Right, right, exactly. And it was a way of punishment. She meant well, but what we know about intentions is that they don't equal the impact that we have, you know, on our kids. That's um, right. So, yeah, there was a lot of um, my mom would beat me. My mom would physically uh, like go in on me. She would punch me and she would throw me on the ground and literally pin me to the ground and bang my head on f- the floor and bang my head on the walls and call me B-I-T-C-H and, you know, just just horrific, horrific, horrific things. And there was just a lot of hurt, a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of physical abuse. And that that broke me down. That broke me that broke my spirit. Children are meant to be raised in a loving home. And that's not what I had, you know, for various reasons. That's what it looked like for me, you know. And what about your dad? Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I said my mom was a single mom up until the age of until I was six years old. Um, and then my stepdad, who I don't refer to as my stepdad now, but, you know, he was a stepdad, came into my life at the age of six. But up until that point, my biological dad, I did not know him. Um, My mom and dad were married for maybe, maybe I want to say one or two years. Um, And my father was a CTA conductor. So he used to drive the trains um, Mm -hmm. for CTA. And um, unfortunately, he got involved in using drugs. And that led to, you know, their divorce. My mom tells me a story that when I was one years old, they went and bought me a brand new bedroom set. And, you know, she went to work, they set it up. And when she came back, it was gone. Mm -hmm. Um, And he took the bedroom set that they had just bought me and he sold it for, you know, to get drugs. So unfortunately, his life of drug abuse, he used to, um, in Humble Park, share needles with his friends um, at that time, which led him to contracting the HIV virus, which then wow. led to AIDS. So, you know, six, seven, eight. I mean, my dad ended up going to prison for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did not know my dad. The first time I met my dad was, you know, when I was 12 years old. Wow. And then I know you said that, you know, your mom had a really difficult time growing up. And, you know, obviously she was abused and and went through a lot of difficulty. But you also shared with me that at five or six, you were also abused by a family member. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. And I want to I want to backtrack a little bit, um, especially with the work that I do now. It's very important to to know the origin of behaviors. And so I failed to mention that, you know, my mom did grow up in an abusive home. However, she had experienced severe trauma by someone mm-hmm. who was very close to her. And so what we know about trauma is that it literally impacts the brain and your ability to heal at times. And so I'm not excusing my mom, but what mm-hmm. we know about people, um, especially who are abusers in a lot of senses, um, is that they too experience trauma at a specific age in their life. And so for me, when I was, again, five and six, you know, so, so vulnerable, Um, My grandfather began to, my maternal grandfather began to um, sexually abuse me. Um, And that led me to internalizing in a subconscious level that my worth and value was based on my body. Hmm. No one told me that. But what we know about behaviors that are modeled and when children are subjected to the various kinds of abuse is that that becomes a norm. And it was, it was really horrific to experience and to live with knowing that my mom left me with 
my grandparents, which were supposed to protect me, and my grandfather violated me. Hmm. And you know, that's something that I hear all the time, and I'm sure you do too in the work that you're doing, is that you leave your child with someone that you believe that you can trust. And that is the very person that abuses your child, that abuses you. People have said, I feel like it's my fault because I left my child with somebody that I thought that I could trust. And mm-hmm. and now they're broken. And now this thing has impacted their entire life, you know, because they have not found healing. And so did you, because I know it's very scary when you're young, um, and even when you get older, people don't want to tell and say, hey, so-and-so abused me in the family or a friend. You know, did you ever tell anyone that your grandfather had abused you? Yeah, great question. So when that that began, I did not because I felt shameful. Even though my mom would ask me often, has anyone touched you? She would ask me that question. Mm-hmm. But I but given that my mom at that time was extremely abusive towards me, I didn't have a trusting relationship with her because I did not want to get abused for that. Right, you right. Know? And so that's the way, even if her words said, I won't hit you, the experiences that I had lived up until that point were very different, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I did not, I did not tell anyone that my grandfather, um, what he had done up until I think I was 16 or 17 when my grandfather had already died. Mm. You know, this, this is the thing about child sexual abuse, right? Is that you do carry the shame, right? And you internalize it and it's absolutely terrible. And that's why we need to speak more about this, you know, and give victims the courage because there was some way that I was subconsciously protecting because had I told my mom, even when I was 15, 16, and when he became really ill to tell my mom, she would have taken his life, you Mm. know? So it was like, well, do I lose my mom to the prison system, you know, or do I just wait until he dies? Yeah. And you know, neither one of those is a great option. Neither one. My my God, like neither of those are a good option. It's not. However, you know, this is real. This is real Mm -hmm. life. And and people who are listening to this may have also experienced sexual abuse at the hands of your uncle. It's the the grand, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so nowadays people don't trust even their cousin. No one. No one. Um, But we have to be able to normalize it. But at that age... I had no one, Madeline, right. to be able to share that with. Right. And so it was like, well, this is this is what happened to me, right? And then it, it really um, implanted itself in my decision-making as I got older. And so on top of everything that you were going through, I know that you said that, you know, you were exposed to a lot of difficult things. And as a child, you know, being around drugs or gangs, you know, tell me a little bit about that environment that you were living in day in and day out. So growing up, visiting some of my uncles that were in prison was a thing that we did every weekend. So I was exposed to, you know, the prison system at a relatively early age. So it was like, oh, we're going to go visit my uncles in prison. Like, you know, I don't know, you know, I was like, okay, do something bad, you know, but in my house, um, for me, it was almost like a little field trip. Like, we're going to go visit the uncles, right. you know, certain uncles. But in my house, when I would come home from school, I mean, there was drugs, the real drugs being laid out in my table, being bagged. I remember going into my jewelry box one day looking for God knows what, and there was bullets there. 
you know, I grew up with things that researchers say that all oh, children grow up in these areas in this in this household this is what's going to happen to them you know right. but for me my normal was seeing drug abuse drug use and things like that and some of my family members telling me okay you know this is bad and i remember them saying that and very adamantly and very strongly like you know this is bad don't do this and i would then ask them well if it's so bad why are you doing it mm. And there was just never an answer for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was my norm, you know, drug drug use, drug abuse. Um, again, not not by me, but by the people who were extremely close to me. The people that were supposed to protect you. And like you said, it's so common and it's happening every day, day in and day out. And it's so sad. And so I know that you said that your dad was in prison for a while and he finally came out of prison when you were 12 and you finally met him. Tell me a little bit about that. So my dad came out of prison um, when I was 12 years old. And that's when I got to meet him for the first time. And I remember it being very like weird because up until that point, you know, my mom didn't have much, many nice things to say. You know, like she was definitely not a fan. Um, right, right. As a lot of single mothers, you know, they're not fans of That's the right. fathers of the children. And, you know, mm-hmm. rightfully so. But what do we know about that is that it just it taints the child, you know. That's right. Um, it taints the child. And so I, I listen, even when my stepdad came into my life again, stepdad just for a title, but my dad now, you know, when mm-hmm. he came into my life, I remember very vividly telling him, you're not my dad and I'm not going to call you dad. <laughs> like, I don't have a dad. You know, Mm. um, at six and seven, I already learned how to put a wall up because I had to put that wall up to protect myself. So when I got when I first met my dad, I don't even remember where it was. You know, at that time, we were really involved in church um, at a Christian church. And it was weird because I didn't know him. So technically, he was my biological dad, but I had no relationship with this man. And at that point, he already had full blown AIDS. You know, mm. So he was um, in a very weak and vulnerable, physically vulnerable place. And so when I got to know him, I remember, man, just the guilt that this man lived with as an adult now. And, you know, as mm. I grew older and just contemplated his life and you can see he was trying to make up for things. And I remember being at the store with him one time and I literally was like far away from him. And I, I was like, well, what do I call him? And And at 12 years old, I wrestled with. Like, do I call him dad? No, that's weird because he's not my dad. But do, right. do I call him by his name? You know, oh, that's weird. That's disrespectful. You know, so living in this tension of a 12-year-old that I carried, um, wanting to build a relationship with my dad, because at that point, I longed for love. I needed, Madeline, I needed someone to love me because love, trust, nurturing are the absolute tenets. They are the foundation of a child's development for what their relationships are going to look like later in life. And Mm -hmm. I had the opposite of those things, distrust, pain, trauma that I had experienced. And so when I got to know my dad, it was weird. He wanted to buy me. I remember one time the Jordans, you know, Jordans were a huge thing and I wanted the Jordans. And I was like, yeah, my mom was like, he he better buy you those Jordans. I was like, yeah, he better. You know, <laughs> like you you haven't given me anything. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. 12. That's um, right. At the same time, Madeline, <laughs> when, <laughs> when he bought me those Jordans, 
I treasured those things. Mm. I treasured those things. And very quickly, I didn't share this with you before, is that I was really involved in Humble Park um, Fieldhouse and day camps and, you know, all kinds of camps. And I remember mm-hmm. I went swimming one day or whatever it was, an activity, and I left my bag in one of the gyms. And when I came back, somebody had stolen one gym shoe oh. of my Jordans. And I remember weeping like if somebody had taken my life. It was so materialistic, but I equated that with my dad gave these to me. Yes. You know, even sharing that brings tears to my eyes because mm-hmm. Bendito is like the little girl. We all have a little girl or a little boy inside, right? Which we remember. Right. But essentially, as I was getting to my know, know my dad, you know, he was deteriorating. And, um, and nine months later, he lost his life. He lost his battle to AIDS. But I will say, praise God, is that even through that, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Um, Mm. Even when he was on a wheelchair, he was in a wheelchair. He was weak. You could see the bones in his face. Mm. But he had declared Christ. And that in and of itself is victory. Amen. I love that. I love how you can still see, you know, something amazing and wonderful through that situation. You know, one of the things that really stuck with me when you told me that story about your dad, when they called you and said, hey, you know, your dad's kind of at the end. He's he's not going to make it. You need to come. The way that you said I needed to get to him as fast as possible, because for me, that was the last person that could love me the way that I needed. Mm-hmm. That just stuck with me after we talked that first time. And so, you know, what did it feel like when that person was now gone, that last person that you thought that could love you the way you needed? <laughs> I was devastated. I mean, I remember you, ju- you know, you just said, you know, my aunt got the call that he was in a hospice and an AIDS hospice at the time. My aunt called my mom. And I remember just when I heard that he was up, you know, had a couple hours, you know, death, we, we grieve, we experience grief and loss in our bodies a lot of time. And I remember being physically ill and my aunt was going to come pick us up. And I felt like she took forever. I was like, what are we doing here? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, I didn't know anything about streets. I don't know, but I was, I remember sitting in the back of the car, Madeline's. I walk you just through this and the listeners and just looking outside. It was January. It was cold. It was, there was snow on the ground. And I remember just passing streets and red lights. And I'm like, this, this is forever. Like, wh- where's this place at? And I remember just feeling so nervous. Like, hurry up, park the car, park the car. Um, like I was saying this in my mind and I remember exactly just walking up the steps and I was my aunt, then it was my mom. And I was the third person on the steps and the nurse opened the door. And I remember when I saw her face, and she said, he just took his last breath. I was done. I felt, you know, up until that point, I had known Jesus, but on a physical level, as a little girl, even at 12 years old, you know, 12 year olds, they get attitudes, whatever, you know, they're coming into the adolescent stage. Listen, I wanted a dad. I wanted a dad to pick me up on his lap and tell me, you're my baby girl. I love you. I wanted to hear my dad say sorry. So there was this mixture. It was this flood of emotions, of of sorrow, of grief, of devastation, of anger. Because at that point, I felt like I literally said, now I have no one to love me. Mm. No one to protect me. And I remember I wept. I went by the sofa and I wept. 
because I felt like I was really alone and I would never have that dad to walk me down the aisle, to love me the way I needed to be loved. So that, man, that that was hard. Wow. Hard is an understatement. I mean, you're talking and I'm like, oof, I'm walking, I'm walking right there with you and I can't even imagine what that felt like for you, you know, because I know you said that, you know, you were looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for affirmations, you know, in the wrong places. And now you, you know, your dad, the person that you yearned for so much was gone. I mean, that's just heartbreaking. And so obviously I want to ask you, what was your motivation, Nati, to just push through all of this adversity in your life from such a young age through who you are today? Yes. So I started going to a, um, a Christian church when my maternal grandmother became very ill. I was, I was literally about eight years old and my mom ran into her friend. She was like, hey, I'm going to this Christian church. And up until that point, I was going to St. Sylvester. I was in catechism classes, you know, everybody knows yeah. St. Sylvester. Hey, I went there too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We were all did. Um, and so I remember, you know, being in catechism classes and having to confess my sins to the priest. And I would ask the priest, but if Jesus died on the cross, why can't I just confess my sins to Jesus, you know, right. at a young age? <laughs> like, I was, man, I think I was a deep thinker from just being, man. Like, you, know, <laughs> you know, questioning the adults. Right. Um, but listen, we started going to that church, and first time I'm at church, and I heard about this man named Jesus and his unconditional love for humanity. That attracted me because I was like, oh, at the tender age of eight years old, I was deeply longing for someone to love me. I needed that. And so when I was eight, and again, you know, my dad died at 12. And so I grieved that for a long time. But at the end of the day, it was the Lord that stepped into my life at the age of eight years old, that he became my hope. And I'm almost 40 years old. And let it be known that he is still my hope every day. Hmm. You know, and so the Holy Spirit, despite like all the pain and the abuse that I was subjected to, that I experienced, that I saw, um, drew me in his love and in his healing power. And so what inspired me to get through is Jesus work on the cross for me, that even though my dad couldn't love me, my dad, I never got an apology from my dad. My mom did whatever she did. The finished work of Jesus on the cross is literally what push me through that adversity and maybe not at that time, but it right. is, was, and is, was my anchor to begin mm. my very painful healing. Amen. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that at the end, you know, that from that age, that that was your foundation, that you had finally found that love unconditional love that you were searching for all that time. And so as you look back, Nati, at everything that you've been through, is there anything that you think that you would have done differently? That's a great question. I will say this. The most traumatic things that I experienced as a child left me in a position of vulnerability. Children are already a vulnerable population. Right. Um, so I didn't have much of a voice. I had no one to advocate for me or fight with or for me except in the spirit realm, which is why today I can speak about it. So mm -hmm. when I needed someone to be my voice, no one was there. However, 
As an adult, I now use my voice to inspire bravery and courage in the hearts of parents to raise their children in a healthy home. I often say parents don't have to use control, manipulation, abuse, tactics to get their children to comply. So that which I couldn't do then, I do now. And so, and that's to continue to live my life to impact families across this nation because I, there was nothing I could do different. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. when DCFS came, because I reported my mom at one point, you know, I wanted a different home, but I didn't get a different home because even when children grow up with their abusers, they still want to stay in that home. Hmm. And so I often say that healthy and healed families lead to a healthy and healed society which is why when I didn't have a voice then, I have a voice now. Amen. I love how you're giving back and I love how you're walking alongside other families and and taking them on that journey and giving them that support that they need. And you're just starting and I know this. And so, you know, I know that right before we were going to record, you were, you said you were a little bit nervous and it kind of surprised me because you're a strong woman, man. I look at you and I'm like, girl, like, I love me some Nati, you know? I love you. I love you. But I love that you're so vulnerable to say, hey, can you pray for me? And I love that. And so we did. So why did you think it was important to share your story? Absolutely. So I want to say this in the Bible and Revelation. um, There's a verse that says they overcame them by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And there's power in story, Madeline. We all have one, right? And that's what allows us the space to begin the healing process because we're no longer sitting with this shame, this guilt, this, these myriad of emotions. And so I want to share my story for a couple of reasons. And the first is that, listen, I could have blamed God for all of the pain and the abuse I experienced at a very young age. However, I saw how God protected me and kept my mind. Did I see it when I was 9, 12, 15, 18? I didn't see it then. Mm -hmm. I didn't. But even through that, I held on. Jesus was literally my anchor. So, you know, my head was banged into walls and floors more times than I could remember. I could, Madeline, I could have experienced multiple head injuries, but I never did. And so when I think about my story, I want to say that God is not to blame for our circumstances. My mother chose to use those destructive tools of abuse because she was given a destructive set of tools to work with when she was young. So -hmm. when you don't know better, you don't do better. And at the end of the day, sin is sin. People sin. And yet God is always loving and pursuing us unto himself. I often say that he saved me and kept my mind intact. I could have been a drug user. I should have been a drug dealer. I should have had children from multiple people sleeping around prostitution, but God. And so the first reason is that I don't blame God, but I see how literally he had his hand upon me and still protected me from all that I encountered and experienced. The second is, It's my life calling to point people to Jesus, period, but to also equip parents with the healthy and effective tools they need to raise their children. We all have toolboxes, right? Um, A parenting toolbox. And I often say this, a hammer can be used to build a beautiful structure. 
It's used to put nails on walls and hang up beautiful family portraits. That, that portrait that you bought at Home Goods, mira que lindo, right? <laughs> but listen, it can also be used for destruction. And so all of us in our lives, especially as parents, we have different tools. And so I feel like one of the reasons I wanted to tell my stories is because I really have a desire and passion to equip parents because a lot of parents and caregivers can see themselves in my stories. And listen, the Bible says that he's not a respecter of man. If he could provide me the healing, which was a long process, let that be known. Mm -hmm. He can and will do it for anyone else. And I will say this lastly is to expose the lies that child abuse, control, and manipulation is the only way that parents can parent their children. I identify as a Puerto Rican Latina woman, and I work with women of color, both African-American and Hispanic women. And we have this idea, we laugh at the idea of the chancleta being thrown at us, you know, which is a sandal or, right. you know, cocotazos. And, and we say, I came out okay. Right. But if you really think back on your childhood, you felt ashamed. You felt like you didn't have a voice. You felt like, dang, this is rough. That's and right. so I feel like it is my life's calling, Madeline, to really equip people of color, to let them know that, listen, we don't need to treat our children like garbage just right. because the world is a mean place. It's not only sad, but it's absolutely detrimental to a child's development and attachment when they're young. And so I often say that the home should always, always be a place where children feel safe, are loved, nurtured, valued, and respected. Because those early relationships from the womb to a baby to the toddler stage is literally going to set the trajectory for how a child forms relationships later in their life. Amen. Amen. That is so, so true. I love how you're giving people the tools to say, hey, I got to do things different. You know, if there's somebody out there that's listening that is abusing their child right now in any way, shape or form that I pray right now that they would think about God and know that he has equipped them with other tools to use. Because these are kids that God has given us. What right do we have to treat them like garbage, like you said? Come on, there are people that are desperate out there to have children and can't. Right. And then we are able to, and we don't appreciate, we don't take care of them, we don't love them, we don't nurture them. I mean, it just it makes no sense to me sometimes when I hear stories like this. And so if there was somebody out there, Nati, that is relating to your story that says, hey, Nati, that was me. I can relate to that. I went through that. I'm not alone. You know, what would you say to that person right now that's either being abused, was abused, and hasn't found healing, or is an abuser? Mm. To the abusers, there's a reason why those individuals are choosing to be abusers. And that's because it's all about power and control. And that's because many times that power and control was taken from them as children. And there is healing, man. There is absolutely no one that is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ, period. And if you're a victim, you know, if you went through, I don't see myself as a victim now, you know, but back then, but if you, you went through what I went through, healing is for you. You're not a prisoner to your past or what happened to you. And for those that are either abused, abusers, or have been abused, 
counseling is probably the most powerful tool that we have out here. And we feel like I'm crazy. Like I, I shouldn't need counseling. I don't need to talk to anybody. But the fact is, is that we go to doctors, right? When we're sick, we're not like, oh my God, I broke my leg. You know, let me right. put a bandaid over it. No, you don't put a bandaid over something that's broken. You're at the ER crying for help. And right. that is what we need to do. We don't do that on an emotional and mental level because we hide things, we bury things, but we need to equip people to be able to say, you know what, I'm hurting. And the same way that you would seek out a healing for your physical wounds, it's the same way that you need to pursue healing for your mental and emotional wounds. You know, I want to very quickly say that Meyer Clinics is a great Christian counseling agency that I've used many times and trauma is real. It impacts the brain, the body, and how we form relationships and how we interact with those relationships. However, I also want to say this, is that there is absolutely nothing that God cannot heal. God can heal the trauma you experience, but it takes work. And so if you're listening to me today, know that his promises are yes and amen. He promises to stand with you and walk with you. Healing is a process and it looks it looks differently for every individual. And I say this, give yourself grace daily. And if you're a parent who's parenting broken, as I've coined, you know, as I say, it's mm -hmm. time for you to aggressively pursue your healing so that you can give your children the best part of you. Many times we treat strangers with more kindness and respect than we do our own children. Mm -hmm. Because I want to say this, parenting's hard, y'all. It is hard. <laughs> it is hard at any age. That's but right. it is our duty to raise children who are not broken at the end of the day. And so if you're broken today, there is healing for you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And your children deserve the best of you. And so do you. You don't have to be a victim of that. You no longer have to cry over what somebody did or didn't do for you. That's right. Amen. Oh, my God. I love that. That's so powerful. Not the end. I know right now, like I just have chills. I know that you are speaking to many, many people that are going to tune in and listen. And so before we go, I wanted to ask you, what does life look like for Nati right now? After going through all of this adversity in your life? Yeah, that's a great question, man. I currently work from home. You know, I'm a parent education manager. I develop parenting curriculum and I facilitate um, weekly parent support groups to the moms that I serve. I'm going to be married five years in September. And as I mentioned, I have a four-year-old daughter. I'm glad you asked that question because I also want to say this, right, is that those early relationships have taken a toll on me as a wife and as a mom. And so I'm constantly in this process of healing, right, and allowing God into we have chambers in our heart, chambers in our minds, right? And so still the Bible says that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. And so I'm continuing to submit to that promise, right? As a wife and declaring that my marriage is a healthy marriage and declaring that although my mom experienced abuse, her mom experienced abuse, her dad, that in my house and with my child, it stops right here. My daughter is not exposed to abuse. Is she exposed to sometimes times where I'm like, mommy, what are you doing? Because <laughs> parenting is, it's real. Absolutely. But right. I debunked the myth 
and the lie that when your children get older, that you have to have a hard relationship with your teenagers. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm raising this teenager now. I debunk that lie. I cast it down. So what I do every day is I commit myself to equipping parents because children aren't born with a manual, Lord God. Mm. And it is my life's passion and my life's duty to really see families that are operating with effective tools and loving their children, setting limits. You know, there's so much more to say about that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I know you're going to have an opportunity to do that because I know that God has placed a special project in your heart. And I know you recently said that you're going to put together a Facebook page just to kind of get started called Mm -hmm. Urban Mom, because you really feel led to continue on this mission and to just give young moms, young parents, the tools that they need, as you said, on their journey to just help them be better parents. So tell people how they can connect with Nati and how they'll be able to find this amazing Facebook page. Yes. Thank you so much for that. God gave me this vision two years ago and I've been sitting on fear, Mm. (laughs) sitting on fear. I rebuke that fear. I rebuke it. (laughs) Oh my God. So by the end of July, I'm going to have a Facebook page called Urban Mom. And essentially it's moms of all ages. I became a mom at the age of 35. I have a degree in child psychology and I was like, someone send help. S-O-S, you know? And now I struggled. So this Facebook page is literally where I'm going to be talking about child development knowledge, hearing my own journey of parenting and what I experienced with postpartum depression and severe baby blues. And really it's a way to connect with other moms who are struggling. So if you're 40, if you're 38, you have four children, one child, you're pregnant. I want to connect with you. Parenting wasn't meant to be done alone. And I'm really committed to supporting um, moms and dads, again, to be effective in their parenting strategies. And so follow me, look for that page. It's going to be called Urban Mom. And um, I'm here to support people, man. Amen. And can people connect with you right now on your regular Facebook page? Yeah, yes, yes, uh, absolutely. If they're hearing this, you know, they, Natisha Shockley, they can send me a message. You know, I hope to one day be a parent coach consultant. I'm looking to pursue my PhD in child psychology. But for now, if you know me, send me a text. If you don't know me, send me a private message and I'll be happy to allocate some time. Yes. Amen. Well, if you want to get in touch with Nati, please email me at Courageous Podcast or instant message me and I will definitely connect you with her. Clearly, God has healed her and she has found a way to find healing and forgiveness. And I pray that if you're listening, that you are able to find the same thing as well. Nati, I want to thank you. Thank you for being on the Courageous Podcast. I pray blessings over you, your husband, your beautiful daughter, and I pray that God will continue to use you in a mighty, mighty way, that he will open the doors to whatever that next chapter is in your life for your ministry so that you can continue to help other people on this crazy journey that we call parenthood. I love you. And I pray that if at any point you want to come back to the Courageous Podcast and continue this discussion about abuse or about young moms or anything that God puts on your heart, that you will contact me and we will make it happen, girl. Yes. In Jesus name. Thank you so much, Madden. And I love, I love that you're doing this. I'm so privileged and honored that you would allow me the space to share 
the testimony that God has given to me. I love you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And as I've said before, God has created the platform. I'm merely doing his will. And it is all of us together that have been on the podcast, those that are listening, that are following, and those that are still to come that are going to be healed. And so I thank you for being part of this journey with us all. Amen. Thank you. Hey, Courageous Community. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you were encouraged today. If you have a courageous story or want to connect with today's guest, email us at courageouspodcast2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Courageous Podcast. Until next time, continue to be strong and courageous.